Hello and welcome to the Real Heroes of E-Commerce. I'm your host, Jason, and this is the next episode in our holiday series, Jingle All the Way. Today on the show, we are talking with Jordan Finger about advertising, how we should think about and approach it, different social platforms, and how ads are part of the customer journey as a whole. He's got 30 years experience in this space and has a lot to say about it. And when you're done, be sure to subscribe to the newsletter at heroesofecommerce.substack.com so you can read the follow-up articles and join in on the conversation. Okay, let's get to it. Yeah. So like what I was saying is probably a period of like 2014 through 2021, that was a period of time that the algorithm on especially Facebook and Instagram was really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and with iOS blocking, obviously it knocked out all that learning. And what you had, I believe in that period of time is a couple of variables. You had a very frothy VC hunger to invest in like these D to C startups. So they were fueling the fire and they were allowing all this money to be circulating through the, you know, from their, their bank account into the brands, into Facebook's bank account. And that was kind of like feeding the whole cycle and in that cycle, I don't think a lot of the brands had to be great businesses or great marketers. Like the algorithm really was kind of like that good. And look, I've been doing this for close to 30 years and I've been through the peaks and valleys and technological changes and platform changes, et cetera. But through all my years, what I've observed is companies that offer a real good product and value to the to their customer or their client are the ones that will still prevail regardless of shifts in technology. So right. the brands that, and, and I think it definitely hurt a lot of smaller emerging brands because they are more limited budgets, right? They can't just keep running ads without some sort of measured ROI, usually on, uh, on paid ads with customer acquisition around, you know, CAC, um, CPA, whatever you want to call it, or return on ads at ROAS, right? So um, that, that's been my belief. And then with iOS, with Apple blocking the cookies, it only validated that, my belief, more and more. So from that period forward, what's happened, right? Like that is the question. And you have a lot of you know, startup business owners, founders, co-founders, heads of marketing, CMO kind of scratching their head saying, what now, what next? How do we, how do we resurrect this, this business? Um, mm -hmm. And what I found really, e even, even prior to, to the blocking of the cookies by Apple was the investment in content and messaging. So I think there was a period of time that people kind of like, oh, I'll just put a picture up of my food and let Facebook figure out where to find it. And they kind of got away with it to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. but, but I've always believed that that's only step one. Really, it's like, okay, you know, going back in time as, as a real world reference for myself, I was the head of marketing for a brand called Freshly. We were one of the first ready prepared meals, meal kits. So it wasn't like HelloFresh or Blue Apron where they send you the ingredients, you have to cook it. Freshly was pre-made, pre-cooked, you just reheat it. So it was like the modern day frozen dinner. Um, and what we, what we found was that, you know, those guys had a lot of that venture money and they made beautiful photography and they made their meals look really nice on that, that, that feed, you know, that, that Instagram feed. 
And we were like, okay, well, we can't just show pretty pictures of food because they're going to just like, oh, they're just another meal kit company, right? We had to tell our story. And even though our story wasn't crazy, you know, tremendously different, it was different enough that when we showed that message, people were like, okay, you aren't Blue Apron, you aren't Help Fresh. You've, the problem you solved for me is you've prepared meals for me. I don't have to come home and first cook it. I could come home from a busy day at the office or a long day commuting, and I have a, a great meal within my budget ready to heat and eat. And that was really the problem we were solving. And when we interviewed those customers, what we found was we gave them peace of minds. Like when they were buying our meals for the week, it was peace of mind. I don't have to worry about grocery shopping. I don't have to worry about prepping. I don't have to worry about cooking. I don't have to worry about dirty dishes. That was really the problem we were solving. And when we made the content on the ads, mostly with video, we were able to really communicate that value prop. And that single-handedly changed the whole dynamics of our business. And at the time, this is even pre-iOS, back in 15, 16, and 17, when I was running all the marketing, we had industry lows like CACs or CPAs like by 40, 50%. And it all came down to our ad messaging. So I, so I referenced that that real world case study that I led and I carried forward to now the post iOS world and the brands that kind of, that I work with that have indoctrinated that belief that like, okay, the world kind of maybe shifted, you know, there was a seismic shift, but the show must go on. Mm -hmm. And the brands that I work with that leaned in and said, okay, let me embrace what Jordan said. Like, yeah, we've made some content, but let's now increase that, that, that content strategy let's create different themes let's measure the themes and let's say okay one theme could be convenience one theme could be price value one theme could be taste if we're talking about food right and then we kind of group that content together we run those ads let's say on facebook and instagram and then we can measure that right like does this get better engagement does it get better through play do we get better click-through rates do we have better pull through into our funnel on that user journey to become a customer. So when they get to our site, they're kind of like, they're pre-sold, I get it. Um, and the brands that I've worked with that have done what I just described, have actually been able to grow and invest more money in this platform, still with tremendously strong returns. Again, whether they're measuring that on CAC or ROAS, and those brands really have prevailed. Um, it doesn't mean that like the data is as clean as it was, so we do have to do kind of a little bit of triangulation of attribution, whether we're doing that on our own, whether you use a, a third-party tool that does some attribution. So that does help to validate it. But when I'm working with more of a smaller emerging brand, they're not running on like a dozen different channels, right? They're running on Meta. Maybe now they're running on TikTok. They're running on Google, right? So to me, it's always like, what is the blended CAC? What's the blended ROAS on our ad spend? And if that's aligned with our goals and our business metrics, then we keep investing. So that, that's kind of like the creative part. And I do want to mention a technical component, which is not, probably no surprise to, to anyone, but Facebook's been pushing since that period of time to really integrate with their conversion API or their CAPI, C-A-P-I, they call it. You Google it, it comes up. What that's doing is it's it's handing off the data from database to database, right? It's an API data exchange. So when the customer goes and purchases, instead of relying on that pixel, which now is being blocked on most devices, especially the iPhone device, 
This is saying, regardless of the device, regardless of cookie blocking, we're going to pass back that data into the database. And for a brand I work with, we integrated that. We, we, we made sure we had a proper integration not that long ago. We should have done it sooner, but probably like three, four months ago. And as soon as we put in that conversion API, the attribution data spikes that we were able to attribute more data to our Facebook advertising. And it made it more efficient because now the algorithm saw more of those data points from our database. And so now with the better creative that I talked about with the API integration, it had, had more informed, the, the, the algorithm was more informed and therefore it could go maybe not back to the pre-iOS, but it had a better ability to identify and target our audience. Because when you speak to anyone high or low or any level at Facebook or Meta, you know, they actually are advocates of broader audiences. So that's the other thing with this, like the days of like a hyper-targeted audience kind of have gone away. And yes, there are certain products, like maybe you're only in a certain geo or you're targeting a very specific audience. So it might have some relevance, but on general kind of direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands where they can ship nationally, the, and I've tested this to, over millions and millions of dollars in ad spend in just the last 12 months, where I've done the traditional lookalike audience or very specific interest audience or broad interest where it's just broad in one interest and just broad, broad. And four to five times that broad audience always wins. And so then really what it comes down to is that creative testing. Obviously right. we're assuming that the, the, the guy is already integrated. So we're getting that rich data back into their algorithm to help us better target. But then it's really looking at the ad contents and the data points around that to optimize the campaign. Right, that's really good. So when you are approaching like Q4 and you're trying to shift gears to, you know, like the holiday mindset, yeah, because people sometimes are buying for themselves throughout the year, but you know, they often switch to buying for others during the holidays. So what's a one way that um, Q4 is different than other times of the year? Well, I think in terms of differentiation, um, let's pause like, we're now in this post OIS world, right? So let's, let's, let's not think about that. The things that I normally see in fourth quarter, which we're in now, a couple of variables. Elections, usually the big elections happen in, in November. And mm -hmm. as we know, social platforms are very important on influencing political elections, Unfortunately. Um, especially during a presidential election. So we'll deal with that in a couple of years or less. Um, but we have upcoming elections this year, right? And there's there's a lot at stake because it could shift some of the, you know, the political influence of, of with the different parties. So that's always something to consider. And the reason why I mean considering, meaning like you may not be running political ads, but when you have an influx of that ad spend, it pushes the CPMs and the ad rates up mm -hmm. pre even like the core of the holiday shopping season. So you'll start potentially even some, see, excuse me, seeing some of those headwinds in towards, you know, in a couple of weeks, right? Because the elections are usually the top of November. So we might see some of that. And then in general, politics aside or political ad spending side, because Meta has done a lot more to kind of regulate that, but obviously they're still going to take certain political ad dollars. Right. Um, and that's just on the ad spend. That doesn't include all the organic stuff that happens. Um, the 
fourth quarter in general, like you got to expect that ad rates are going to go up 30, 40%. So even though Meta, you know, in the news and as a publicly traded company is stating like, you know, they're having revenue issues, et cetera. If you, I don't have it in front of me, but if you looked at a trend line, CPMs always tip up year over year in general. So even, so the 30, 40% is up from where it's been that particular year, but it was over the year before it could even be, you know, even higher. So you have to really then consider is the nature of my business truly dependent on fourth quarter? And the answer for certain brands is yes. So they don't have an option, right? They need to be in the market that time of year and they can't worry that the ad rates, because the other way to look at it is there's higher ad rates because there's generally more users on these platforms and there's higher demand from, for consumer purchasing. So they have to kind of be part of that feeding frenzy, right? So if I'm selling cookware, which is a great gift item for myself or, you know, a family member or whomever, I need to be ready for fourth quarter, right? Now there's other brands just to talk about that, that fourth quarter is not so important. So like I mentioned, like, um, like a fresher, a meal kit company, right? That I kind of put that in that health and wellness category. And that, that market is really first quarter dependent, first, second quarter. So if you're, if, you're, if you're a brand that's not about gift giving, it's more about me, not about you, me, me to you, then I usually say don't chase that customer because that customer is potentially interested in your product. They're just not interested in buying your product today. So mm -hmm. let's not chase them at the higher ad rates. Um, it doesn't mean if you have the budget to completely don't be in the market. It's just lower the budgeting and lower the, the expectations in November, December. Um, potentially even lean a little bit more into retargeting, right? Because we've already had a touch with them in previous periods of time. Also a big fan of going into this period, really making sure brands are buttoned up with their email CRM strategy, right? Because if you have that person already in our database, there's not really much cost to send out that email, right? It's just messaging timing. Are we running a holiday off? Are we not? Is there is there a shipping cutoff for, to make the gift or item arrive prior to the Christmas day cutoff, et cetera. So there's other things to consider. So when I'm looking at fourth quarter, I'm kind of weighing all those different attributes. Um, there are brands that like, what I'll tell them is, hey, if you're any like kind of end of year, like everyone in a perfect world wants it to go up, 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 but not every brand, like I said, is really fourth quarter um, relevant in terms of what they're offering. So the ones that are not these health and beauty ones, for example, it's like use October to kind of get some of your messaging, get like the foundation all in line, really with a look for first quarter of 2023 and say, okay, well, let's do some testing today. We'll keep some messaging in the marketplace to keep it warm and relevant and still learn, but let's, let's, let's shift our budget really to January, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing to consider and look at when it comes to this period of time. I like how you separated the uh, the types of brands who are for me or for me to you as right. being the differentiation and, and how to approach what we typically just all think of like, okay, it's a sales season, so we just all should jump in, right? Uh, but not necessarily the case for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, beauty product, I work with a, like a hair product, right? Like it's not really a gift giving item. It's really about me and not my hair, but it's more about a me product, right? Like I want my hair to be more beautiful. You know, maybe if someone knew they want to gift that, but it's not your typical gift, right? So if it's a 
again, these emerging brands, they have more limited budget. You got to be a lot more strategic on how you're thinking about use of funds mm -hmm. and when to really implement it in the market. So I was just on the phone earlier today with one of my clients that's in the baby food space. And what you and I are talking about is exactly the conversation earlier, right? Like we've had some really strong back to school, right? So this is the, this is a busy season for them. Schools back in session, people done with summer camp, summer travel. So August into now is even, you know, we're past the official back to school, but this has been a really strong period of time. We've had some really efficient um, performance in the last few months, but now we're taking a look towards fourth quarter, which is really now really more November, December. And we looked at some of the, just even what we looked at today was like some keyword trends, right? So we looked at like their biggest keywords for their non-branded search and said, okay, what does November and December look like? And we looked at the last couple of years and what we saw was, yeah, like October, November, December, it does tick down. It doesn't crash, but it goes down. So it means that like, there'll still be user demand on search, but there's no reason to kind of like, overspend in that period of time because the, the, the consumer's behavior and mind is shifted elsewhere. Um, so we're budgeting accordingly. So since Google is, um, it's pull, right? Like you're pulling the, like they're looking for the server, you know, they're looking for product service. So they're, they're indicating interest. Obviously from an ad perspective, we're gonna buy as much of that audience we can efficiently, but if demand drops, I can't keep pushing the budget up. The demand's just not there. Or on a social channel, it will spend your budget. So most of the dollar shift for that brand, because they're not really a Christmas giving, holiday giving item, is we're going to pull a lot of our budget back on social, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And then really, we're going to shift that money, that budget towards leaning in on January and February. So, you know, every brand has to consider where they fit into that. If you are a brand that's is gift giving item and you feel that you fit in that category, then, you know, you got to be ready now, right? Like don't wait, even though it's digital and you can move quickly, the quote unquote black Friday, cyber Monday that happens, you know, right after Thanksgiving digitally, that's like starts November one, right? Like we right. will all start getting ads teasing either their pre holiday offer or teasing some of their holiday offers to start getting that awareness. And the thought also is because no, we're no longer attached to the physicality of going to a store to buy and it's digitally, you're kind of trying to get a jump on the, on the share of wallet before like the feeding frenzy really happens around that, that Thanksgiving time, right? So if I'm selling I don't know, a TV and I could, I could entice you to buy it sooner, and you paid 500 bucks for it, I would offer you the same deal then. Now it's $500 less that that consumer in essence is has to purchase something else. So like you're competing with just wallet at that period. So what I've mm -hmm. seen is that it's happening earlier and earlier towards the top of November versus people waiting to the bottom of November. And when I mean, when I, not people, but brands when they're, when they're running their ads. Right. It's interesting competing for the wallet in general. Yeah, you're always competing for the wall, but if you're not Apple, Samsung, or you know, best like these massive consumer electronics brands um, or apparel brands, you know, Nike or something, you're going to get kind of get lost in the noise and the loss in the shuffle. So if it is important, it's like how can we start introducing and teasing things before all that? And yes, we should always have kind of that 
in general, people sitting home after Thanksgiving, they're on their phones or on their computers, the tablets, right? Like, and everyone has an expectation, like I should get a deal because the, you know, right? So it doesn't mean don't have an offering. It just means like, don't put all your eggs in like the Black Friday, Cyber Monday basket. See if you can kind of acquire or introduce or sell to those consumers prior. And maybe Black Friday is like a big upsell then for them versus like it all just happening then. And, right. you know, kind of playing into that because it, it kind of ramps up and then it kind of like drops off pretty, pretty rapidly. Cool. When you're thinking about um, the different platforms, just go with uh, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Mm -hmm. Which ones do you see? Just what's your opinion on all of them? Just yeah. basically. So what I've seen, you know, opinion, but even really more real world experience is you know, starting backwards to the kind of more new kid in the block to TikTok, you know, TikTok's not, has been around and being in the industry, I've been talking about with brands for several years already, right? And everyone's like, oh, TikTok, TikTok. But it, it, it just really, really was kind of your, your, your teen market. You really didn't have your consumer buyers. And then with COVID and people being locked in at home and people doing those little dances and those little kind of competitions, all of a sudden TikTok blew up and came like super relevant. So it kind of pushed it upstream in terms of age demographic, which is much more of your consumer buyer demo, you know, and I would say it probably was even fueled a lot by like daughters and moms, you know, moms and daughters doing these fun things. And all of a sudden now mom's like, oh, I got to be on TikTok too. This is really cool and hip. So that whole shift has happened. Um, so I, I, I think right now, TikTok is probably, whether we like it or not, the most important platform to really understand and invest in. It doesn't mean like you got to take 100% of your budget and dump it into the platform. But just like brands, you know, referenced five, six, seven years ago, we're always trying to figure out like, how do we get more followers and subscribers on Facebook and Instagram? You got to have to start thinking about that too, more and more on, on the TikTok platform. But TikTok is 100% video. So if you remember Instagram, when it first was emerging on their organic feed, a lot of people were like curating these beautiful photography and these beautiful pictures because it almost was like their brands, right? It was like their branding page versus their selling page. So like the aesthetics on their Instagram became really, really specific. And that's kind of how it launched. And then when, when Snapchat came about with their stories, you know, Instagram quickly ripped them off and then that became that short form video. And that's when it all started happening. And then that short form video from stories ended up in feeds and now it's all happening in reels, right? So TikTok has really made that force, that seismic shift for Instagram to become more of a short form video platform. Right. Um, like there's still a lot of relevance and significant on Instagram. But the other thing for brands to think about or anyone that's trying to leverage these platforms is, you know, Facebook, and I do want to talk about Facebook as well. Um, Facebook and Instagram have been around for a while now, you know, relatively speaking, but longer than TikTok. It's hard to get any organic reach on either one of those platforms, unless you're already a celebrity or, you know, you, you became like a YouTube celebrity, right? Like you're an actual athlete celebrity, a movie celebrity. But for the average brand, like to get that organic followership on those platforms is really, really difficult. But however, on TikTok, it's still very fertile. Like there's still a lot of opportunity to get that organic reach on TikTok. 
and TikTok is starting to shift from just you know trending music and trending uh, competitions and fun activities to actually like looking at that content. So, for instance, going on TikTok, like you know, new restaurants in New York City, right? Like that type of stuff. Like people are starting to use it like they would use YouTube as an actual search engine, and that's becoming more and more relevant. And I think if anything, that's advantageous, excuse me, advantageous to brands because brands then could think about like, okay, what are we, what's important about us? What's relevant about us? What should we be known for in the general TikTok community? And there's opportunity that they could probably own a category right now on TikTok. Where on Facebook and, and, and Instagram, it's going to be just very, very hard to accomplish. So you know, and then just touching on Facebook, I mean, again, looking at the news, like there's nothing that I'm saying that's not already already known, but Facebook is as a platform specifically, not as a network, as meta, is kind of been dying off, right? Like mm -hmm. I have a teenage daughter. I don't think she's ever been on Facebook, but she's been on Snapchat. She's been on Instagram. She's been on YouTube, right? And she probably still uses all three of those pretty regularly. Maybe not Snapchat, but definitely TikTok and YouTube. YouTube a little bit more for long form content. Um, and then you have like the other like Discord and these, you know, these gaming streaming services, a lot of teens use as well, but none of them use Facebook, right? right. So if, if your positioning is to capture the youth market, you got to be on Instagram, you got to be on TikTok. If you have something more to talk about, maybe YouTube and you could run on Facebook, but algorithmically your audience is just not going to be there. Now that doesn't mean that there are plenty of, older audience and i mean older let's just call it like 40 plus so it's not like old but older demo that probably still aren't facebook because i kind of fall within that demographic where i was where i was at the beginning when facebook emerged so i still go on facebook i still have the content on there i still follow things so i'm still kind of influenced on that platform and i use it very differently than i use instagram but if you're trying to reach that demo, yeah, they still are on uh, on the actual Facebook proper platform, but it's not that that audience is growing exponentially anymore, right? The right. growth is on Instagram, the growth is TikTok, even YouTube. YouTube is launching their version of, uh, they call it YouTube Shorts. Yeah. So that's their version. And, and anything you look at, it's all about short form video content. Like that to me is like, it's been there because, you know, we're industry insiders, we see this, but for just in general, like companies and brands must put budget aside to invest in their content and their video content and their short form content. Because the days that we talked about pre iOS, you just put all your money in media budget and let the algorithm figure it all out. Now you got to take, and if you do have a, let's just say you had 50,000 a month or whatever to spend, take a chunk, take 10, 20% of that, put it in your content you'll get a much bigger ROI on that content investment versus just the media buying strategy, right? If you have good fundamentals, media buying, there's a few things here and there that you should be doing, but ultimately you need good content, great content. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I, I was talking to someone earlier about the old way of just putting up those product photos on a white background and then that it actually just working just fine. Yeah. Those days I mean, are long gone. <laughs> long gone. Like I, I just did this with uh with a brand I work with. They do like fitness meals. And you know, they're they're a smaller brand, so they have more limited budget. And he just 
we just had static image ads with some text overlay. So I went and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to make some short form video ads with some of the meals. And I literally just made a couple of videos, put some video animation with some meals, not like anything fancy. I, I made them all myself and outperforming their static image ads, 30, 40% better efficiency on their CACs. Did and you no just, did you just ahead. use your phone to record that? No, I actually used Canva to make some content. So I took some of their, <laughs> okay. their product images. I used some video templates on Canva. I, you know, I, I manipulated them. I, I designed them. I made sure it's still, you know, on brand. And actually the client loved them. He's like, oh, I, these are great. I'm like, yeah, I just made those in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But regardless <laughs> of the time, it was just that like, I just knew we needed video and I just needed to get it done. And my little experiment proved to him that like, hey, you need to invest in video. Like I did a couple of things at work, but what if we did a lot more things at work, right? This would be right. fundamentally a different business. That's really good. You hit on so many points. It's, <laughs> it's hard to recap them all, but I like the, the general overview of all of it, like how it's changed and what to focus on now. Um, refocusing if you are like Q4 relevant rather than the rest of the year or Q1. And also that focus on content. Yeah, and, and I know you brought up when we first got on the call about like user journey. Um, that is what this is about. Right. Like this is someone that probably never heard of your brands. What are we going to do to inform them? So like the way I kind of look at like, and a lot of what we talked about is like the ads and that is where it all starts. Right. So there's an ad that they see, whether it's text or video or static. Right. And that, that starts creating an impression on that user about a brand, whether they want to consider or not. Right. But let's assume we have great ads. Let's assume we did everything I talked about perfectly right we still have to have a great customer experience when they get to our site right so mm -hmm. if it's if it, you know using the meal reference we can't like oh we got all these great meals and we have three meals right like or we have to have options right like so the user's experience of coming into our store becomes important because like hey we got them amped up to come in let's not let them down and whatever the let them down could be could be product variety, product pricing, um, product being out of stock, um, photography that just doesn't communicate or show like if I'm going to buy a jacket, well, is it lined? Is it not lined? How does it, how do the sleeves look? Like, let me see a video, the model moving around and let me see multiple, right? If it's just head on, I may not really get the full picture, right? So we're kind of, and this is nothing new, if we're trying to mirror the real world experience, we have to make that as rich an experience as possible for that consumer, right? Because mm -hmm. they have a zillion choices at a click of a button, right? And their decision could be influenced on a, a dozen different things. And the, and the biggest thing is that most folks are going to be, you know, inter interacting and engaging with our brands on these devices. Um, mm -hmm. I think we all kind of, even today, get caught up, like, you know, we have dual monitors, big screens, because we're looking at these things all day as digital marketers, but the reality is, is most people are not gonna see a website on a big, beautiful screen, especially mm -hmm. for that young audience, right? If they're coming from Instagram and TikTok, they're only looking at things in the mobile. It's gotta be quick loading. It has to be informative and it's gotta kind of get its message to the point because you're talking split seconds here. 
Um, so that also is like a shift in mindset where, especially when you're the brand owner, right? You're all about like a beautiful brand book, a beautiful packaging, beautiful photography, all that stuff is great. But what does beautiful photography mean? It means, it means heavy images, it means sites load slow, which means we might lose the user before they even see that image. Um, it sounds crazy, but this all plays into all of that user experiences. The, the UI UX is, is widely important. Um, and if you think about that kind of journey, it's usually from you know a platform, an ad into a landing page. So what is that landing page? Is it, we're going to send them to the homepage? We're going to send them to a PDP product page? Are we going to build a custom landing page that kind of puts all the highlights, highlight reels into a page? Right. And I think all those things are worth testing. My experience, I've seen usually that the homepage is the worst place to send traffic. Mm -hmm. It's just the homepage is everything to everyone. Right. Like right. a lot of clicking. There's a lot of different options. There's a lot of leaky buckets for you to kind of just drift. And our goal is acquisition. So, yeah, if somebody looks up our brand organically and we're not paying for that traffic, great. Let them browse all day long. But once there's ad dollars and we're trying to, see a certain ROI in those ad dollars, we have to be a little bit more directional in what we're doing. So if we're promoting a, 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 an item or a product in our ad content, let's send them into that page and let's make sure that page is as informative as, as we want with the ad. And if it's not, maybe we do need to build a subsequent landing page, which is like item, lifestyle shot, studio shot, shot in box, you know, a testimonial video, right? Like we need to, the, our goal as brands is to best communicate to that user all the value props and not everything's problem solution. A lot of things are problem solution. So, you know, what, what, what's the pain point we're trying to solve? If they don't get that kind of understanding about what our unique selling props are or what the benefits are, they're out, right? And kind of the downside of these quick sites is they do have to load quickly. So you can't use a lot of video. But video is great because it, it creates an emotional connection with our products or services, right? Mm -hmm. Like it could be how someone presents it. It could be just beautiful scenery. It could be a lot of things. And, you know, a lot of what we try to do is try to find that balance between emotional connection and benefit and communicate benefits. And that kind of is like at that intersection is when someone's like, you know what, I just want this thing, right? Like we don't necessarily want them to buy in price, even though we know certain things are price sensitive, but when we're independent brands and we have Amazon out there always trying to sell everything for cheaper, right? We have to offer, we have to have a different offering. We have to offer something a little unique and different. And I believe a lot of that is the journey and the experience someone has once they are on our respective websites. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. Um, we are actually about out of time. Um, okay. So this is really good. And a lot of things you touched on, I really like. If someone has any questions about this, how could they get a hold of you? Yeah, so I don't know if I introduced myself at the beginning, but uh, <laughs> I don't think we did. <laughs> yeah. I'm Jordan Finger. Hi, guys. Um, I've been doing digital advertising marketing since the late, late 90s, so probably approaching about 30 years. Primarily worked at agencies as well as e-commerce brands in-house. Um, my focus has always been around the customer acquisition. So the beginning of that user's journey. So very much around the digital ads, the digital media, the digital marketing, 
paid advertising to drive traffic to acquire customers. So that's kind of my specialty. Um, my agency is called Noel Partners, N-O-A-L Partners. So noelpartners.com. Uh, my email is Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N at noelpartners.com. Uh, you can look up Jordan Finger on LinkedIn. I have all my contact information there as well. Awesome. This is really great. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Jason. All right. Thanks again to Jordan for coming on. And don't forget to join the community at heroesofecommerce.substack.com so you don't miss out on what we are building there. See you next time.